0: Welcome back. We're at another episode of the Lean In Podcast, and we're going to talk about the most recent series that we did, which was Fight Club. Fight Club. A little bit longer. It was so good. We hit like so many major things in life, so many major areas, and we did a whole podcast just on the first subject which was fighting Mm. for your faith and we talked about deconstruction and so to kind of give a a brief overview of the series as you kind of talked about five things that you believe God has for us that we have to fight for Mm. but if we're willing to fight for them he wants to provide those five things and the first one was principles Mm -hmm. which is that we that deconstruction conversation we had yeah our faith our faith in God yeah people so fighting for our families provision fighting for our finances purpose fighting for our calling and place which is fighting for our church mm-hmm. so we're going to let people if they want to hear more about principles and their faith they can go to the deconstruction episode that we did but we're going to talk about people provision purpose and place and kind of overview dig a little deeper into some of those conversations um, and what it means to fight for those things in our faith and and get all that god has for us in those areas because it's really all-encompassing for our lives so I think this is this will put us on the right track would you rather go to a movie alone or go to dinner alone
1: oh wow you that is such a rough question because i'm such a people person i love to be around people and so if i'm just honest and this is a horrible answer but i would say i'd rather go to the movie alone because nobody would see that i'm alone in a movie I would feel like eating alone in a restaurant. People would be like, "Oh, that poor guy has no friends. He has yeah. no family." And so, just for plain vain self-image, yeah. I'm going
0: with the movie. That's funny. So I'm the opposite. I love it, Sarah. My wife Sarah and I, we actually planned this out together. In fact, I think it was it was a month ago. I had a gift card to Outback. I love the cheese fries, blooming onion. Yes. I just I basically just eat appetizers there, but. We had a deal because she had a bunch of nights out with friends and stuff. And so we had a deal one night. I went to dinner at Outback by myself and she stayed home with the kids. And I actually ran into Pastor Ryan, one of the pastors on staff. He was there with his family and he comes over. He's like, hey, bro, do you want to sit with us? Because after about 15 minutes when no one else showed up, he's he's like, do you want to sit with us? I was like. I was like, no, this is weird, but like I planned this with my wife. And I was like, and she plans to go to coffee shops by herself. I once spent Christmas Day in a movie theater by myself. I saw Star Wars Rogue One wow. in movie theaters. But I love doing stuff like I would that feel all the by need, myself. I would
1: feel the need to wear a shirt that says, I planned this. like So nobody would come and give me sympathy. <laughs> you mentioned Star Wars. I just have to say this. You weren't here yet, but several years ago, uh, <clears throat> what was the first spinoff movie from the Star Wars it's so when they were guarding like the Death Star station or whatever. Yeah, it was Rogue One. That was, was the Rogue- one I okay. watched on Christmas Day. Yes, Christmas so I, I gave it away because remember, like, they died in the explosion? Oh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> so for the Christmas message, because we were doing a Star Wars themed message, and I, it was like the, the movie had been out like two or three weeks. So not right. long, but anybody yeah. who loves Star Wars, yeah. they I, had been to see they it. They knew about it. I didn't think I was giving anything away. <laughs> People were mad because I ruined the ending
0: that's perfect because I did I remember I I have a picture on my Instagram one of like six pictures and it's a big old tub of popcorn Mm. and I'm sitting in the theater by myself because it's Christmas Day. Yeah. And I couldn't go home because I had to work or something to family. And so I went to the movies by myself. So I love both. I love doing anything by even myself you, that I even can. Even though you
1: told me you wanted to do that, I still feel bad for you that you're yeah, sitting I know. in a movie theater. I home. know. Pastor Ryan felt so bad for me. It was so funny. He's like, dude, are
0: you sure you don't want to come sit with us? I was like, no, man, this is what I want. I want to be fighting fighting for alone time. Oh, And then this is a pet peeve, totally off subject. But of course, I'm there to be alone, right? And then my server does that thing where they sit in the booth with you when they take oh, the order. Yeah. I can't. I was a server for years, and I just I can't stand it when I'm like, I didn't come here to eat with you, bro. Like, I appreciate you being friendly, but like, <laughs> hey, this is a business relationship. I'm gonna pay you money. That's right. You're gonna make sure I have water and cheese fries. That's like, right. you don't I'm not need looking to sit for a friend. Here. I'm looking yeah. for food. That's yeah. right. I'm like, That's right. That's a whole other thing. But. It's funny because I think that's why for me talking about relationships and connection and people, I'm one of those people that you had mentioned in your sermon. Like I kind of feel like I could be fine just not being around people anymore. Like I love being alone. I love having my alone time. And, um, one of the things that you really tried to emphasize, especially with marriage, but we were made for connection. We were created for connection. And so I kind of wanted to start out just asking you, um, what is one relationship in your life, outside of your marriage and immediate family, that has had the greatest impact on you as far as connection and relationship?
1: You know, it's funny, um, thinking through these questions, immediately my mind went to a guy by the name of Gary Hagan. Anybody who attends Faith Church here for any amount of time, you probably have heard me talk about him, maybe not by name, but Gary Hagan was a A man that came on my radar when I was a believer for maybe a year, wandered into the grocery store I worked, and we ended up striking up a conversation, and he was the man who invited me um, to come into his home once a week to disciple me, which meant to teach me the Bible, to take me through Bible studies, teach me the Word, hold me accountable to memorizing Scripture. And so in the conversation on relationship, one of the things I mentioned is there's really four tiers of relationships. There's no relationships. It's like you just don't have any friends. Um, two bad relationships. Mm-hmm. And we've all had those. people that, you know, man, we compromised our values, we did things we otherwise would have never done. And then there's good friends. And I think most people settle for just having good friends, people that make them laugh, they do things together. you know, you have things in common. I believe God, when He built us for a relationship, good relationships are good. God relationships are better. So for me, the one of the best relationships I had was Gary because he made me better. He sharpened me. So um, everybody needs good friends, but everybody needs a God friend, someone who is really intentionally working on the relationship to make you a better person.
0: Yeah, and it's those relationships are just so much deeper and stand the test of time. You know, like those are the friends that you don't talk for six months or people, and then you talk again, and you're like, yeah, it's just right back where Mm -hmm. you were. And I, you know, I have a friend from kindergarten that I'm like that with like I actually even right now I think I haven't talked to him on the phone for like a year but I like I know as soon as we get like caught up on all the details of life it's going to be like you know nothing I've known him my whole life and it's just like those are the types of of friendships that stand the test of time and it and it's hard because sometimes for me especially like I value God relationships and sometimes it's hard for me to go for those good relationships even because I'm just like eh, like because I'm so good being alone, I'm like mm. I don't I don't need all these friends or all these people in my life. But I think for me it's almost the opposite is sometimes I need just more community in my life where I kind of rely on those deep relationships and they're there and I'm better at forming those. Mm. And sometimes it's like I just need people that I'm living life with that are in the same season of life as me that are going through the same stuff, have have kids the same age, have a marriage, and Mm. and have all these things in common so that I don't have to go to Outback alone. Maybe someone else (laughs) likes cheese fries as much as me. And uh, yeah, but that's so good that I think the difference between the good relationships and the God relationship, and I kind of want to transition to the biggest God relationship you have, is your marriage. Mm. And so... How many years have you been married? I'm tra- I thought I knew. Oh, and gosh, then I tried to say. I was mean,
1: married in 94. So, so that's 29 years.
0: Okay. Yeah. The math's even worse for me.
1: 93. Uh, man, it was 93. Wait, it's 30 years. This year? This year. Wait,
0: when's your anniversary? I'll help you remember. June 4th. June 4th? Yep. That's almost exactly however that's many crazy. months away. 30 years. Wow. That's awesome. So 30 years of marriage. I guess, I mean, obviously, Miss the most influential and important relationship you've had your whole life, I would say probably, especially because that's a majority of your life now. Mm -hmm. That's more than half. Um, What is like, we can't get into just an hour on marriage, even though I'd probably like to, what is like one of the biggest pieces of marriage advice for people to stand the test of time, because in 30 years you've gone through every phase of life together. You've grown, you've changed, you've moved, you've raised kids, you have grandkids. Like, mm-hmm. what is the one piece of advice for that long-term marriage as you grow and change?
1: Yeah, and you said it right. So much could be said on marriage. It's such a valuable relationship. God built us for a relationship. Again, if you if you're not connected, you're not complete, and it doesn't have to be marriage. And we're going to get to singleness in a minute. But when it comes specifically to marriage. Um, man, out of all the values that you could focus on, I, there's one I think is probably the most important. And it's the way I would say it is don't give up. But for a staff mm-hmm. culture, we have church core values and we have staff core values. And one of our staff core values, it's in this acronym, live focused. Mm-hmm. L is love God, and love people. I is invite followers. But O is this word ownership. And I believe with all of my heart that What ownership, what it means to me for our staff and what it means to me in marriage is treat it as if leaving is not an option. So own your job. So if you don't like it, you don't like the coworker, own it. It's up to you to figure how to kind of make this work because leaving is not an option. Um, same thing for marriage. If divorce wasn't an option, I think people would work harder to try to figure out how to resolve conflict, how to, how to do life together. And because divorce has become currently in our culture, like the escape button, if I can't fix it, I can just leave. But what if you can't leave? So to me, the best piece of advice I would give every married couple is own your marriage at such a level that leaving's not an option. So if you're going to stay, figure out how to fix it, how to make it better and how to how to have the marriage God wants you to have.
0: Yeah. I think I think that's the difference, I mean, for every long term commitment for people staying in a career, like and I think it's something that even me as a millennial, I think is often the generational, like older generations talk about millennials and Gen Z of not having that like grit almost. Mm-hmm. Because in careers it's basically proven that it's it's better to not grind it out and it's like if you if your workplace isn't gonna pay you what you're worth like go find another someone else will and kind of I think in some ways the pendulum swung so far for my generation and for younger generations that we've now applied those types of things to every area of our life of just like man if it's tough it must not be God you know it's like that you kind of get into that and so it's like man if this is so hard isn't it supposed to be easy with God isn't marriage supposed to be easy if this is my person and this is my my soulmate and I think we get tricked into that even with with the idea of culture and the way we talk about love and culture is like it's it's so magical that once the magic's gone then you're released from the commitment but it's really about that longevity
1: you know, I love your conversation and the comparison and the contrast between our job in marriage and you know, what our expectations are. And I would just make the point that the difference, and we know there's a difference, mm-hmm. but you know, both of them are relationships. You're in a relationship with your employer. You're in a relationship with your spouse. But your job, you're in it more for yourself. you got that job because you know, what do you get out of it? But relationships, mm-hmm. especially marriage, we need to go into it, what can I give? Because it is a give and take. And if you become selfish one-sided, I think that's where maybe this generation has lost its way. Mm-hmm. It's not just about you. It might be that way on the job. But in marriage, if you lose focus, it's about your spouse, you'll probably lose the marriage that your spouse is a part of.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that even I've not been married very long and we have a couple kids now. And I think even we moved across the country now and gotten different jobs. And I mean, when we got married, I stayed home with our first daughter because I didn't have a real job. My wife had a career job. Then we move here and I kind of start working. She starts staying home. Like, I mean, in our, in our short five, some years of marriage, we've switched roles and everything's changed. We're living in the South instead of in the middle of a city. And I, and I think for us, it's been like, everything's felt kind of accelerated and it is kind of like, I mean, monthly we kind of have to sit down and be like, we need to refocus. Like, In that short amount of time within five years, it's like a few weeks or a few months where things get busy and crazy and hectic. It's like, for me, it's just been like trying to shorten the amount of time when I feel that distance growing Mm because it does happen. And I think so often we don't recognize it as early. And I think for for me and Sarah, it's like after a few weeks, one of us finally gets tired of feeling that separation Mm -hmm. and just going, Why, why are we feeling this? And then it's like floodgates open and we've been holding back on each other and we haven't been honest. We haven't been fighting. We've been selfish. Mm. And I think that opens up and then there's so much healing that comes with that. And it's then, then it's back to that ownership of like, I've spent two weeks in my head blaming you. Once I verbalize even blaming you, it frees and opens everything up. And then I walk away knowing what I have to own Mm -hmm. because it's not like for me, I'm, Words of affirmation is my absolutely lowest love language. I've scored a zero for the last 15 <laughs> years I've been taking that 15 test. 15 years and running. <laughs> and Sarah's number one is words of affirmation. Yeah. So, like, I go through these spurts where we'll go two weeks, and I'm like, why are we so distant? And then she's just like, you've been distant. And I'm like, no, I haven't. I've done the dishes every day when I get home. I've been yeah. I've been cleaning the house for you. I've been taking care of the girls. And then she's like, we haven't been talking. That's and right. I was like, oh, yeah, and then I can get into a good groove where like I have to discipline, set reminders in my phone, be like, write her a note this week. Like I, I have a note in my phone that's like I have to take the ownership because it's like I want to blame her for f- being distant, but I just spent two weeks mm-hmm. withholding the thing that means most to her, mm-hmm. even though I wasn't trying to because it's just it takes that much work and ownership. I have to know what my part is. Yeah, you know. So yeah, I think
1: um, you know again ownership's huge. I know you only asked for one, but I got to remind everybody watching this again, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm a pastor, this is a church, so obviously we're going to lean on what God's Word has to say about a lot of conversations. And to me, we can't forget, this is going to sound, you know, very churchy, but we can't forget the person we're married to is a sinner in need of grace. Mm-hmm. You know, think about when you first start dating, I mean, any at least for me, I'm going to get a shower, and I'm going to clean, you know, clean my hair up, and it's going to be a fresh cut, and fresh clothes and i'm gonna press my t-shirt and you know the first year shauna seen me everything was buttoned up that's not the real me and so shauna started getting exposed that my hair isn't always brushed and my teeth isn't always brushed my (laughs) breath isn't always fresh and you can go all the way down the, the longer you're with somebody the more you get to know them the more you start seeing their warts and that they're not perfect and a solution for the struggle that happens in every marriage is grace my wife needs grace for me. And man, I'm gonna tell you, I need, I need grace for my wife. So that's for all the Christians out there, man, give your spouse grace. They're not perfect. They'll never be perfect. Give them
0: grace in the gap. Yeah, that's so good. So I'm very passionate about singleness. I have a lot of I could, I could talk about that for an hour on my own of just mm-hmm. like, I, I wasn't single for super long in church years. I was single for a long time. I didn't get married till 26. My wife is 10 years older than me. She didn't get married till 36. So by like growing up in church, she was basically like, I mean, she was basically like a barren woman in the old Testament yeah. being single for that long. And, and we've had a lot of conversations about the culture of singleness and how do you be single and serve God? And it's sometimes it feels hard because we talk about marriage a lot. and it's like it's such a good indication of God Jesus' love for the church, and that's in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And and so I kind of do want to touch on relationships in singleness because I think it's hard sometimes when you get into those late 20s, early 30s as a Christian person, it's hard to be single during those mm-hmm. times and be involved in a church. Like it feels very weird sometimes to be involved. And it, sometimes it feels like you think you're missing the connection you're supposed to have as a Christian. And you mentioned in your in your sermon that that's not the case. Like we all have connections that are given by God, those God relationships. So what does that look like for a single person to have a God relationship when they're living a single life and happy and know that's where they're supposed to be.
1: You know, I think when you look look around, again, singleness is, for some reason, it's, uh, people look down on it. Um, Because our model of what life, a good life, a complete life looks like, is you have this type of career, you have a spouse, you have X amount of kids, you have a house, what happens if you can't have kids? What happens if your credit score is not good enough, you can't get a house yet? Or, again, you're called to, either you haven't found your spouse, or you're never going to find a spouse because you feel called to feel single, there is a stigma. So if you're watching this, I know you carry that stigma that maybe something's wrong with you. Um, in fact, I put on social media after that message just one of the thoughts, that if you're not connected, you're not complete. And I believe that because that's really what God said in the garden. It's not good for mankind, men, women, all of us. It's not good for us to be alone. But God created you for relationship. It just doesn't have to be a spouse. Um, so I would say for the person who's out there that's single, don't feel like you're cursed. Don't feel like you're living less than. Recognize that you are either called to a season of singleness or a lifetime of singleness. But in your singleness, you can still have significant relationships. Yeah. And it's your it's your personal needs that determines your people needs. So again, if you're somebody that you desire sexual intimacy, well, your solution is marriage. You need to find a spouse. But if that's not your thing, you just have an emotional depth. Well, you don't need a spouse to meet emotional needs. That can just be a really good or God friend. So figure out what your need is and then find the person suited to meet that need. So if you're called to be single, recognize it's a gift. You can do things for other friends. You can do things for the kingdom of God that other people can't do because their time is obligated to a spouse. So God really is giving you a gift. Yeah. So don't allow, man, the world we live in, or don't allow the enemy to whisper in your ear, you're not significant, you're not valuable. I would say God gave you a greater value Yeah. by not weighing you down with the responsibility of a spouse, but still pursue personal, uplifting God relationships.
0: Yeah, that's so good. Because I, I know for me, it was like when I was single and in ministry, I mean, I did whatever needed to be done. All That's how I got... I got to run the bus ministry. I got to be the kids pastor. I got to be the youth pastor. I got to be the pastor of everything because I had all the time in the world. <laughs> and then I got married, and I was like, and she made me so much better, and our ministry together was great. And I was like, so now my ministry elevated. But I didn't have the same amount of time because now I have, I have a new, not necessarily priority over doing what God's called me to do, but now my calling has shifted to go – now i'm responsible for this person and the relationship we have more than running a bus ministry and a kids ministry. And you, you know it's like at that point and then it's I, I always joke with people that are young marrieds in our church and on our staff that don't have kids yet and i'm like then once you have kids then you don't get to do anything you want to do that's like right. <laughs> then you're going now i have to keep these things alive and now that's what i use now we're split up and we have all this different stuff. So it's like the more relationships that you have that are in that arena of marriage and family, the less freedom you have to do ministry in as open of a way. You have to be way more calculated and protect those family times and all of that. So
1: it's funny cause you know, to hear you talk about it and this, I think this is true. Um, while people maybe who are single like feel bad, they wish they had a spouse. You don't know what you're asking for. It's a big responsibility <laughs> to be mm-hmm. married, and it is a big responsibility if you're married and God blesses you with kids. Kids are amazing, but man, do they require a lot of time and a lot of care and a lot of you know emotional support and a lot of money. So hey, if, yeah. if God's called you to singleness or you're married and God's God's called you, you just don't have kids. Um, you know, on some level, there's a grace there because, yeah. man, it's a big responsibility. Yeah. You know, it's so. an
0: easier fight to fight for the smaller your family is, the, <laughs> e- the right. easier the fight is. That's right. Um, I I kind of wanted to have more uh, kind of a fun idea of connection because I think this plays into me wanting to eat alone and go to movies alone. And yeah. I like being alone. Um, I have really strong opinions on group projects in school. And I know that you're getting your doctorate. And I don't know if they still do group projects. And that sounds. Yeah horrible to I've me. Been a part put of, a bunch but, but of doctors, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> a bu- put a bunch of people for their doctorate in a group project. Maybe that'd actually be great. I don't know. But what do you love or do you hate group projects?
1: Oh man, I hate group projects. And this is going to sound <laughs> so bad. I feel, I feel bad. on being this, this vulnerable and this maybe shouldn't even make the cut. I just hate tying. Um, I hate tying my success to other people's efforts. Thank you. Yes. Like, I just feel like <laughs> I know me and everything I do. I grind it out. Mm-hmm. I work hard. I wanna. I wanna get an A. I wanna succeed. I wanna grow. And man, if I get two clowns on my team, yep, um, <laughs> and they're not really into it, I. I really. I hate it. So, but I would say this: you have to make it work, and you do in relationships. Um, I want to be in charge. Mm-hmm. Gosh, the other thing I hate to admit. But I think the win of being in charge, just because you have the most authority doesn't mean you have the best gifts. Mm-hmm. So if you're called to be on a team, which marriage is a team, family's a team, friendship's a team, but in your, in your illustration, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in your little, uh, your little co-ops of, of college or school being on a, a, a team project, hey, if you're in charge, you don't have to have all the answers. The mm-hmm. best way to be in charge is to recognize the other gifts and talents in the room. So yeah. don't want to be on a team uh if i'm on a team i want to be in charge right i'm on the team and i'm on charge i guess here at church so
0: look for the yeah. gifts of
1: people around you
0: yeah and that's i mean that's how i feel too i was like <laughs> i'd rather earn my own c than earn someone else like have someone else earn me a b if i know my work was an a like i'd rather I'd. i'd rather fail on my own and do all my own work than do well enough and have someone else's failure mess up my good See, I didn't say that though. Pastor yeah, I know, Carson. but I, I'm I'm that much more. That. I, I know I'm that much more extreme. Like I'd rather fail on my own than. And now that's not necessarily true because then I did pass a class based on a group project. I was in a woodshop class and I was terrible at it and I passed only because of a group project yeah. with my friend. But. See, if I'm on a team with
1: somebody, if I would have gotten a C on my own, but that guy can help me get an A, I'm all for team. (laughs) But if I could have got an A because that clown's on my team and he's Mm -hmm. not working and it pulls my grade down to a C, oh, yeah,
0: I'm upset. Yeah, I'm upset. And uh, I love that. And I kind of want to transition to the next one. So that was people. And the next one I kind of want to talk about was purpose, where you talked about fighting for our calling. And you even said there, like, you're actually kind of running a giant group project when you're running a church in a a way and and you're the lead on that so (laughs) you talked about finding your calling was kind of answering a few questions which was what are my concerns so like what do i care about what what am i passionate about and then what are my competencies so what am i good at what am i gifted at and i think you kind of hit on that there where you talked about when you're in charge you like to then find the strengths of other people and pull those out because you want the best grade. You want the best outcome, and that's like a a leadership mentality. And so how did your competencies and your concerns influence your call into ministry?
1: I think those are the legs of a—think of a three-legged stool. Your passion and your competency, those are two of the legs. I think that third leg is is God— like this is coming from god you really feel a sense of draw a responsibility a call from god but you know your 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 um your passion is part of your purpose the things you really care about think about this uh people walking into a church or sitting through a service the thing that bothers you about a service might be a clue of what you're called to Mm. for example if you walk in and you think man look at those greeters over there they're not even greeting the guests walking in or the parkers aren't really paying attention and waving If you're really bothered by people not getting a level of um, guest service, that might be part of your clue of what you're called to, because you're passionate about people getting that good experience. If you're sitting in a service and uh, you're wondering about kids' service, man, I hope they're getting hope they're not back there holding babies. I hope they're really teaching them. Maybe your concern for children is part of your call. Some people sit and man, they see a misspelling on the screen. Some people don't even notice, but there's some people sitting in a service, man, and that drives them crazy. Well, you care about those details, so part of your passion helps kind of unfold our purpose. And our competency is part of our call. What are you good at? If you're not good at it, you're probably not called to it. So Mm -hmm. those two things are are significant. I think if you're looking for your long-term call, career, what God created you for, lean into those two things. Again, what is your passion? What is your heartbeat? What do you care about? What are your competencies? What are you naturally good at? What do you feel that, you know, you're already gifted at? That points in the direction probably of where
0: God wants you to go. That's so good. I think um, for me, <clears throat> I felt like when I got, I kind of gave my life to Christ at like age 12 or 13 and felt like I was supposed to go into ministry, which is a weird thing to think as a middle schooler. And, and so for me it was a little bit more gradual of like for some reason i loved learning about the bible and i loved helping other people learn mm. about the bible so i was like i guess that's what i'm supposed to, maybe i should do that but what that does instead of talking about that from a middle school perspective you got saved at the end of high school so basically mm. you're like at this point in your life where you're trying to decide your career your calling what am i going to do how did getting saved and the call to ministry how did that kind of look for you what did that look like to kind of make that transition pretty quick because i was raised in church so i was like you get saved you become a pastor okay but for you it was kind of really fresh so how did yeah. that call make itself clear to you
1: again man pa- passion is part of your purpose so for me early on as a new christian reading the bible man when i say i read the bible i mean i'd consistently read the bible every day read it every night i read the bible a lot So many questions came up, but mostly so many powerful moments of who Jesus was, what he could do in someone's life, the message that he preached. And I knew people that needed that message. And so I would read that and think, someone needs to tell these people, someone needs to tell my friends, someone needs to tell my family members about who Jesus is and about what he's done. And Well, naturally, your passion is part of your purpose. God was birthing a passion in my heart to tell people about who he was and what he could do. And so that just became a natural marker in the direction that he wanted me to go. So it wasn't, it wasn't as clear in the moment. Right. But for sure in hindsight, watching God birth that passion in me and how he would use it my purpose, it's, it's so clear now. Um, I just want to say this, though. You know, Moses, if you know the story of Moses and when he was called— Um, it looks like God randomly pulled this guy out of nowhere and made him the deliverer of the nation of Israel. Hey, Moses, go rescue my people. And that's not really what happens. I would propose that Moses had God use him the way he did because of passion and competence. Think about it. Moses, while he was still in Pharaoh's house, if you remember the story, he saw an Egyptian taskmaster beating a Hebrew slave. And what did he do? He went and he intervened and ended up killing this taskmaster. Now, obviously that wasn't the best solution, but it was his passion for these Israelite people to be free that moved him to do that. Competency, Moses went to the best school possible. He went to the leadership academy of a king. You know, people who were in that level of authority, like a Pharaoh, they got the best training. So here is Pharaoh. God intentionally had him raised in the house of Pharaoh where he got his competency, he knew the background and demonstrated it when he tried to rescue this, uh, this Hebrew slave. He had the passion. So when Moses is finally called at 80 years old, why we're shocked by God's selection, God birthed a passion in a man and gave him the training and competence he needed. He was a natural fit. It wasn't a shock. God intentionally put him in that place. So God has put you in a place, and God has positioned you with passions and given you gifts. Man, pay attention. Yeah. because you are already a gifted and anointed and called for right where you are in the season you're headed.
0: And the, I, I love the kind of the added nuance of that is he kind of ran from it, and then God calls him. He's like, I have all these reasons I can't do it, yeah. and God's like, Well, I'll work those out. That's like, right. He's like, Trust me. He's like, I made your mouth. I'll get it to talk better. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's right. You know, and and he like tried to make excuses, and and God's like, No, this is what you were created to do. Like I've already put all these things in place for you. To become who I created yeah. you to become and that's so cool
1: I would say this way that your call is never really complete so while I while I was called from eternity really to be a pastor God knew what he called me to do before I was ever born I figured that out in my in my journey in spiritual but I've not done all God's called me to do and I've not done it as well as God's called me to do it so your call is never complete and that yeah. that's such a great idea that God's gonna continue to speak in that if you will get on the path of your purpose
0: God will help you get to your destination. Yeah, that's so good. So, I my call, I kind of want to tell a little bit of my experience with my call to ministry as an adult and then kind of just get your thoughts on it cuz mine was a little different. I I became a pastor in ministry at, by age 20. I went to Bible school, got credentialed with the Assemblies of God, but I didn't start becoming vocationally a ministry job or staff until I got hired here at Faith Church. But I was in full time ministry for ten years mm-hmm. in Detroit and waited tables at rub barbecue and Texas Day Brazil and, you know, worked at a high school or a middle school and an elementary school. Like so for me my calling and my career didn't line up for most of my 20s, almost all of my 20s. And, and I was very clear that I knew what my calling was. I knew God had called me to ministry. And so I had to pick a different provision from what I felt like was my purpose. So my mm-hmm. career and my calling didn't feel like they lined up at the same time. I had to work. I had to be a tent maker like Paul. Yeah. I had to make tents so that I could do the ministry. Yeah. And and so for me, that was hard for me because it was very discouraging for so many years. I was like, do I need to just go to college and get a degree and go work at, you know, I was in Detroit, so do I need to go work at Quicken Loans and sell mortgage loans to, to make a living? Now I'm married, I've got a kid. Mm. Like, do I need to just go get a normal job or, and like get a career? Or do I stick to this calling and figure out my provision in the meantime? And so I kind of would like to hear just like your encouragement, your thoughts, your ideas for people who feel like they have a calling, but the career doesn't necessarily coincide with it yet or might not for a long time or, or what is the tension between career and calling that people have to navigate?
1: You know, I spent some time that morning on the message and really not enough. Um, But the tension that exists between our purpose and our paycheck, our purpose and our provision, and people tend to think that they're the same thing. That if you'll go get a career that provides your paycheck, like then that's your purpose. So if I'm an if I'm an attorney, then uh, that's my paycheck, that's my career, and then that's my purpose is to you know help people through legal issues. Now that is certainly the case for a lot of people, but sometimes there is a huge difference. In fact, it could seem in total different trajectories between your paycheck and your purpose, between your provision, how God's providing and meeting your needs. And so I would say don't feel like those two things have to match. If you are currently on a career path and you feel a call a different direction, you have an obligation to provide for your family. In fact, Paul says if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an infidel. You're worse than an unbeliever. So don't quit your job and just run and pursue this new calling or this new direction but at the same time if you know you're called you owe it not even to yourself and not even to your family and culture that has all these expectations you owe it to your creator who loves you who knows what's best for you who gifted you uniquely for the call on your life and so i would say you owe it to yourself while you keep your foot in the provision world that you start to pursue purpose and if you can't spend as much time on purpose because you have to spend time in provision that's okay because you're honoring God, pursuing purpose. But I think if you do it faithfully, Jesus said if you're faithful in small things, I'll make you ruler over much, which means I think if you'll pursue it at the pace you can, at the depth you can where you are, I think God will begin to alleviate and will begin to provide other ways for you to full-time pursue purpose. So don't be discouraged if you can't do it all at once. Start mm-hmm. taking specific baby steps into your purpose, and hopefully trust God that He'll alleviate or He will align your Provision and your purpose. But, you know, I think you're called to purpose. I think provision is secondary. And unfortunately, the culture we live in, we are so focused on provision. What's my job? What's my career path? How much money am I going to make? And those things are good and they're important. But how much money you make in this world means nothing to the difference you're going to make in eternity. And you don't have to be a full time pastor to do that. It's whatever God's called you to do is going to make an eternal
0: difference. Yeah. And um, I, I love that that transitions to one of the other ideas when you, when you talked about fighting for your finances and, and that our provision, the money that we have is God's money. Like mm-hmm. it's about stewardship. And so to start that off, if we, I mean, we could argue the morality of the lottery. We're not going to, I'm assemblies of God, so I don't gamble. <laughs> um, disclaimer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, But let's say, Someone gifted you a million, a one billion dollar lottery ticket that one would I say? It like what this? would you, a billion yes, dollars. billion dollars? What would you do with that one billion dollars? I'd even be interested. <sighs> would you take the cash payout, the lump sum, would or would take, you do the annuity thing that I don't No, fully understand? I would take
1: the cash payout because <laughs> there's no promise the annuity is going to be there later. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather be guaranteed half now than a promise that doesn't come to pass of a hundred percent later. So.
0: so let's say God gives you. Five hundred million dollars of his money. What are you, yeah. how are you how are how are you going to steward that? So
1: God gives me a billion, and Uncle Sam takes the first five hundred million. What will I do with the other five? <laughs> so you million? did
0: you paid your taxes, so yes. now you can yes. You talked about a lot of other things. You, you know, everybody
1: do. has these answers, and right away, just um, just very personally, I would buy friends and family members houses, and I'd buy new cars. Uh, I, I would truly first of all, I would tithe. Uh, but I would admit that my parents don't have a great house. I'm blessed now with a beautiful home. Uh, one of my brothers has a really not a great house. Um, you know, it's, it's his, but man, I'd want him to have a really new home. I yeah. would want, uh, my brother's never had a new car. I would love to bless my brother who's so good to so many people with a car. He never has to get in his cold garage. He's a, he's a mechanic and never lay on a cold ground and work on a car again. I would love, but that's personally, practically, if you get that kind of money, get an attorney. Mm-hmm. and uh, and get some uh, get, a, get a tax attorney and accountant, because there's some stuff you need to know. Um, but I think this is the real biblical answer, is if God gave you that kind of money, he gave it to you for a reason, and yeah. before you come up with your plan of what you would do, um, I think we just owe it to ourselves, but like, God, why did you put this huge amount of money? Why did you give me a raise? Why did you give yeah. me a bonus? I think that's the way to biblically think, is God gave you that provision for a purpose. But here's my real question. I said all of that, that if I was wealthy, $500 million, whatever it took, I would hire a barber Ooh. that would cut my hair every other day. I would have a fresh fade That's so every good. other day, and I would have a personal chef. I wouldn't have to worry about eating clean. Just fix me clean, healthy meals three or four times a day. That's what I would spend my money on right there. That's smart. So yeah. if you see me with a personal barber— yeah. Or a personal chef. We know. I hit the big time. We know. We know he <laughs> we hit know. the lottery. You know I played the lottery. Nothing else changes.
0: <laughs> Nothing else really changes for your life. Yeah. You're like, are you gonna get the jet ski though?
1: I I, I wouldn't because I preached about it. And I don't want to be a hypocrite. So I just have yeah. to get the speedboat. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's so good. Oh man. So I I love that idea. Obviously, we want to talk about the biblical aspect of being a steward of, of the money that you're given and, and being responsible with it and we talked about that tithing, giving your first and best, all of that. But what is um even just to bring it rein it in from lottery, but even in your life, you've you know, you were young, you worked at a grocery store, now you're leading a big church, you have a nice house, like in how you've had like your financial glow up of just time and career, mm-hmm. what is like one practical budgeting tip that has really changed the way you do finances and helped you through all those seasons?
1: It, it is budgeting. Uh, and the reason I said money has a mission, but you have to give it a mission. Everybody gets, well, not everybody, but most people get some kind of income, whether it's, you know, whether it's your social security or whether it's a paycheck, whether it's dividends, when you get that money, you have to decide where does this money go? And if you just spend it as it comes in, you will find that you didn't tithe. Or you will find I tithe, but, man, I forgot to invest in my retirement. You know, I spent it all in the moment. So if you look at the money you have and you give it a mission up front, then it, don't feel bad that you spend some on yourself. God has given you richly all things, and he wants you to enjoy them. Uh, but he wants you to tithe. He wants you to retire. So I would just say anybody who is new to money, set a budget just set some kind of personal goals that you're meeting all the requirements that you have to and you're you might find you don't have enough to meet them all but i think if you'll just make an effort man it'll find some relief and ease in your life so hey get on a budget you need to be knowing where your yeah. money's going andy stanley that's, said that and i stole good. it from him <laughs> that's funny
0: that's good yeah i mean when sarah and i have gotten really strict about our budget and like we keep track of it in google sheets it's yeah. really really nice and fun yeah. but um, we have like personal spending money every month of like basically is the last thing we did we went through how much do we want to save how much are we investing in retirement how much are we doing all of these okay we have this much left after we've saved what we think is fair we paid all our bills paid it down whatever so then we have like our own personal spending money. And then we have like group spending money that we use for dates and mostly go to Bucky's. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but like, how do you, you mentioned it, like if we're being responsible with God's money and we're being wise with it, we shouldn't feel guilt or shame spending it on ourselves. Where do we find being able to exist in that tension of wisdom and still using money to have fun and enjoy life and do things we like?
1: Again, if I'm looking at a at a sheet of paper, or I'm looking at a digital screen and I know I know I'm being faithful to God. God, I've I've paid my tithe. I know I'm looking at my retirement. I think again it's just looking at the whole scope of it. We live in football territory. We live not far from Tuscaloosa. This is Alabama. Roll mm-hmm. tide. I'll give it to you. People love not. football, but you wa- I know you won't. <laughs> I gotta stand in front of all these Alabama fans. I don't wanna run me out of town. So anchor down. Yeah. But think about it. When you watch this incredible, and they are one of the greatest teams to play the, play the sport, you don't watch 22 players, 11 on offense and 11 on defense. You don't watch 22 players run out on the field in utter chaos, everybody doing their own thing, people running in all different directions. They go out as a team, and they have an assignment. They have a job. They know exactly what they're going to do, and then they execute it. To me, that's what a budget is. You don't have, you know, you don't have eleven players, you have hundred dollars. And you're telling each of these dollars, this is what I need you to accomplish. Now it doesn't mean at the end of the play, you did exactly what you hoped, but you know up front, I know what I'm trying to achieve and I've given my money direction. So whether it's spending, whether it's saving, whether it's investing, whether it's giving, just up front determine where your money's going. Again, give your money a mission because God gave you that money with a mission. So you need to find
0: out what it is. Yeah. And I, I really enjoyed, you talked about the parable of the talents and just kind of, um, a final thought on the finances. I loved that. You said you talked about that. We're not all given the same amount of money, but we're all given the same amount of management or the level of management Mm -hmm. of, of that idea of, it doesn't matter if you're making 50,000 a year or 250,000 a year, God's calling us all to the same level of stewardship. based on that parable of the talents and and so i'm kind of just wanting you to expound on that idea because for me that was super profound because i mean i don't know how i bagged sarah but i mean i was like my my the government didn't even know how i was surviving when i was dating her i was like eighteen thousand a year was my income when i was working you know waiting tables and doing ministry and stuff and now thanks to faith church and your leadership, I'm making more than $18,000 a year. Um, <laughs> it's 19. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, more yeah, is more, increase, right? That's right. No. But, uh, like how, how can people as they're in different stages of life and in different tax brackets understand that level of management is the same.
1: It's hard, because I think if you're on the low-income scale, you look at what you have, and it's already scarce. You look at all of your bills, all of your responsibilities, and it's hard to think about retirement. It's, it's, I would say for some, it, it feels like it's impossible to save money. Tithe? I can't pay my bills. How can I give money to the church? You know? And so I recognize that it, there's a lot of tension there. But I believe God wants us to be good money managers no matter what level we're on, which is why the widow— There's a story of a widow, which a widow in biblical times during the first century in that area of the world, if you were a widow, you were likely incredibly poor. And this widow walks into church and gives her last penny, and Jesus admonishes that. He doesn't run up and say, no, no, keep your money, pay your bills. Jesus knew she had bills, but he was saying in that moment, even when you don't have a lot, you owe it to me? you owe it to yourself to manage it well, and that includes giving, that includes saving, so all of it. But the flip side is when you feel like you don't have enough to do it all, you still need to do it all. When you feel like you know you have enough to do it all, I think, and I have found, frankly, I make more money now than I ever have, and I've made more money as I get older and have more responsibility. I'll be honest, it it feels like I don't have to manage it as well, Mm -hmm. because I can pay my tithe, and I have money in the bank. But there's the same level of requirement that God has on me to manage it all well. I need to continually to look at all he's given me. How can I give more? Where do I need to save more? So I would say no matter where you're at on the financial spectrum, know that God wants you to be a good money manager no matter how much you have. And there's going to be tension in it whether you don't have enough to manage it well or you have so much you don't feel like you need to manage it well. It's God's money. You are his steward, and you owe it to the money manager to manage money well so
0: yeah I, I I love that because even just in the last five years of my life that's changed I mean it changed overnight when I married Sarah and we closed my bank account and I pulled out all five hundred dollars and put it in her bank account that had yeah. a real savings and stuff and I was like oh I have money now yeah. and even with us it's we we both she's always had a career and been super frugal and I've been like super poor so i'm like i always joke i'm like the way that we both manage money as a couple even i was like i can take two pennies and i can get something worth a nickel Mm. i was like and she can take two nickels and then she'll have 10 cents (laughs) and it's like she just like she has money and she just saves it and i'm like if you give me a 100 bucks i can do something worth 200 with it because i just learned how to and it was like i think we're both able to learn from each other really well that like. She's helped be like, "No, you need to save for retirement. You need to have money in savings when there's emergencies." And I've been like, "It's okay to spend $20 on this thing that you like." Like mm-hmm. she'll she'll look at some product for like 2 weeks in her cart and uh-huh. I and I'm like, "Well, how much is it?" I'm expecting her to say $500 and yeah. be like, "Yeah, we really should think about." It. She's like, "It's $30." I was like, "Get it yeah. now. You're crazy." Like yeah. You, we are responsible, and you have we have thirty dollars budgeted for you to get that. It's great, so, you
1: know, man. Good for you guys that you have that relationship. Mm-hmm. That both of you are kind of bringing your strength to the table and having those conversations. So kudos to you and Miss Sarah the way you guys manage the money together. Um, I, I would just, man, just I, I just have to make this thought. I was going to share it that morning when we talked about finances, and there just was not time. But I would, I would, I'm convinced of this, especially the older I get is most of us, we spend a lot in the moment. Man, we just we just buy what we want. We see it. We go get it. And, uh, and that's, that's okay. That's part of managing money is spending in the moment. That's okay. But I'm convinced that we will never regret, um, we're, we're never going to regret like, man, I wish I would have spent more in the moment. I don't believe that. I believe that a lot of people are going to reach a place that they're going to regret they didn't save more for retirement and they didn't give more for eternity. Let me say that again. I believe you're never going to regret spending in the moment, or, you know, I wish I would have spent more. You're never going to wish you spent more, but I believe you're going to regret that you didn't save more for retirement and you didn't give more for eternity. There's a, there's a guy, his name's Oscar Schindler. He's a, he's a real person, um, lived during World War II. Uh, he was the guy represented in the movie Schindler's List. If you've never seen that movie, incredible movie, really long story, really short. Um, when the Germans came in and began to move the Jews to concentration camps, where ultimately six million Jews plus lost their lives, it's tragic. This man, Oscar Schindler, um, he was a germ, uh, he was, I believe, a German, uh, but he owned several factories. One was an ammunition factory, and he felt such a, a compassion for the Jewish people that what he would do is he would take his personal money and he would bribe the German Nazis to allow him to hire Jews in his factory. So the benefit for the the Germans was, hey, we have people making our ammunition. Well, what Oskar Schindler was doing was he was making personal sacrifices to save the lives of the Jews. I will give you $200 if you will allow this Jewish person to come work in my factory. Well, he was saving their lives because it was either work in his factory or go to a concentration camp. And you get to the movie in Schindler's List, and it's at the end of the movie, and you recognize, I think he saved three or 400 lives, huge personal sacrifices. And so think about this. He's spending money on himself. He's a wealthy you know, business owner, but he's saving lives. He gets to the end, and there's this compelling moment in the movie where all of these Jews who he saved their lives are there to thank him for his sacrifice and his gifts. And he's, he's spinning the ring in his finger, his, his wedding ring, and he's like, I could have gotten one more. If I would have sold this ring, I could have saved one more. It's like this moment he's looking at the end of his life thinking, I saved a lot, but I could have saved more. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to get into eternity, and we're going to think, you know, I, I, in the moment I felt like I couldn't give that much, but I could have gave more. And if I would have given more, kingdom builders, for example, we could have built more Bible colleges. We could have fed more of people who are poor. We could have put roofs over people's heads that didn't have homes. So I would just say, man, we are all we all wrestle with selfishness that we don't see. And and hearing God's call to stewardship and managing money helps break the power of greed in our lives. So be a budgeter and watch the movie Schindler's List. That's my yeah, recommendation. I haven't seen it. I was You've like, never seen it? No. no. Was, it is so compelling. I mean, if you don't cry, you don't love Jesus. Yeah, That's I was like,
0: I wasn't too worried about spoilers because I'm pretty familiar with you know, history a little yeah, bit. I so mean, it's, it's so, okay, it's so
1: compelling. I, I think about that, and I think I'm going to stand before the Lord, and I'm going to think I— I could have yeah. done more, and it's it's true. I could have, I should have, I need to. Yeah, I'm convicted now. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's <laughs> like, oh, I didn't like that part. No, um, the the last thing that you talked about, um, the last message was about fighting for your church, mm-hmm. and 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 it was that promise that God has a place for us, and so, um, before all the people want to come after you and be like, the church isn't a place, it's a people. You said that. And mm-hmm. so I kind of want to start there of, like, we know that the church is God's people. It's the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you made a really compelling argument for why the place matters. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, when you look at Scripture, again, it is abundantly clear, uh, for example, in the book of Acts, the the way Paul says it is this way, that basically God used to dwell In buildings made with the hands of men so God dwelt in the tabernacle his presence was there but now God dwells in the hearts of men so when you give your life to Jesus the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in you you if you love Jesus you are the temple so Jesus is with you wherever you go so you don't have to go to a building to be with Jesus Jesus goes wherever you are but still, when you break it down and you look at the New Testament, the church is always talked about in the context of gatherings. They, they met house to house. They met even in the temple to pray. So while why the church isn't a place, it's a people, it's expressed best in the context of a place. That's where mm-hmm. corporate worship happens. I love to worship alone, mm-hmm. but I'm just telling you, during COVID— I miss corporate worship. Hearing hundreds of voices together worship God in that moment. Again, Jesus said that he's with us. He's with me. But he said, I'm with you when, when just two or three gather. There's a different level of his presence in the place. So while you don't have to have a place, a place is an important part of the church. And I, I, you know, I, I think people bend too far one way or the other, and there's a place in the middle where I know Jesus is with me, but, man, he calls me to the place of
0: God's people. Right. And I think that connects, for me, it connects great with with that battle of connection and people that God gives you is, is like, I don't think you can experience the fullness of God's presence without experiencing it in community. Because mm. if it's all internalized, like, I mean, you can come up with some crazy thoughts and crazy ideas and, cra- you know, like you need other people just to even make sure you don't go off the rails. Like if s- hermits end up kind of becoming crazy people so it's like to experience the presence of God corporately is so important because we need community we need more than one experience of Jesus and that's a lot you talked about diversity too we need diversity in our churches because we need diverse experiences of God's mm-hmm. presence and of and of salvation and all of those things and um, I've heard, I really I've, like heard, that. I've heard
1: people say, I don't know if you've heard this, maybe you're watching this and you have heard this or you feel this way. I've heard people say this, like, I don't need to go to church because I love the outdoors, and so for me, I just go out, me and Jesus, and we're just out mm-hmm. in the wilderness, and you don't have to go to church to be saved, and I can really experience God's presence out in the woods. And, and they would say, I'm not wrong, and I would agree. Yes, God is with you in the woods. Yes, you can experience his presence out in nature. But while those things are true, it's not the whole truth. And Pastor Austin, you're saying it, God, while God is with you wherever you go, God's called us to community, God's called us to connection, and there's some things He can do in the body that He's not going to do in the part. There's some things He's going to do in the gathering that He's not going to do for the single, and so it is really a both-and proposition.
0: Yeah, because I I mean, I think you miss out if the only person experiencing God's presence with you is a squirrel. (laughs) Like... (laughs) I've even, I mean, even since um, Sarah and I had kids, I've gone to a youth retreat or I've gone to a service that she wasn't at. And, And me even trying to convey to her, my wife, who's experienced God's presence and I've experienced it with her. I'm trying to explain to her this moment that we had with God. And she's just like, okay. Like, and it still just feels like oh, man, I wanted you to be there with me. I wanted I wanted to be able to experience this with you. Like, I wanted you to have that same unique experience with the presence of God that I had today because it was, it was different, it was powerful, it was new, it was fresh. And if you're only ever having those experiences alone, like, I had it with other people, but it wasn't with my wife. And so I still felt like, mm. even in those moments, there were moments where I'm like, God, you're doing, like, this is insane. And I go, I wish Sarah was here. Yes. And it's like that's that's what we've been created that's that connection that we've been created for is going we need to have those experiences with other people because that strengthens our faith even more and you can't later convince yourself you had some hallucination because everyone in the room knew that God was doing something mm-hmm. special
1: yeah yeah I, I love church I said it during the message and I mean it with all my heart I love church love gathering God's people love worshiping with God's people love seeing
0: God work in his people.
1: It is, it's an unmatched experience.
0: Um, you you talked about from Mark chapter two, you talked about the story of the four friends lowering the paralyzed man mm-hmm. through the roof. And um, one of the points that you made in the message was that church is a place to bring broken people and where p- broken people belong. It's a place to bring them where they can encounter the presence of God in a place. And um, how, how, how do we encourage the local church? Because then another thing that you said, let me set it up a little bit better, was that the church exists to empower people to be the church. So there is that, there's power in the place and where we all experience the presence corporately, but there's also the call for us all to be the church out and about in our lives. So how can the local church, and how do you even, as you're leading faith church, how do we make faith church, how do you make the local church a place where not only can broken people come to be made whole, but believers can be empowered to go be the church Monday through Saturday?
1: I think that question is great and it's really easy to answer. Everybody needs to stay focused primarily on themselves. It's so easy to walk in church and look at everybody else and we judge people who are not where we're at in our spiritual journey and we tend to um, you know, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Like we look at people who are beyond us and we think mm-hmm. I can never be there yeah. and uh, I would say at the end of, end of the day we just need to stay focused so broken people are gonna come into this place and instead of looking at broken people judging them celebrate them encourage them pray for them man let them know we're so glad you're here you belong here uh, but focus on your spiritual journey if you're broken don't worry about where somebody else is in their spiritual journey Focus on you getting whole uh, there's a conversation at the end of the ministry of Jesus and um, And Peter was one of the guys, he bailed out on Jesus. He, you know, was one of the guys that denied Jesus. And so after the resurrection, Jesus is having a conversation with Peter, and he asked Peter this question three times. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Yes, yeah, I do. If you love me, Peter, go feed my sheep. And it's a conversation on purpose, right? And he gets to the end of this conversation, and man, Peter's so convicted because he does love Jesus, and so he's going to go follow his purpose. But he looks at Jesus, and he says, hey, Jesus, but what about John? Like, you're telling me to go feed the sheep. What's John? What's, what are you telling him to do? And, man, Jesus, his answer is golden. He looks at Peter, and he says, what, what's it to you? What's it to you what I call him to do? You just go do what I'm calling you to do. It's a way of Jesus was telling Peter, go mind your own business. Yeah. And if I can say it as your pastor so blunt, when you show up in church on Sunday, mind your own business. Worry about you and your journey. So if you're broken, focus on you getting whole. And if you're mature, don't focus on the people who are, who are broken. I mean, support them and love them, but focus on you doing what God's called you to do. So we all come to the house in different places of brokenness, in different places of maturity. And when we leave, we leave with a mission. And uh, so I think if we, if we start focusing on each other, man, that's where a lot of judgment comes in, and we lose the focus and lose the mission. But the tension exists, man, if we'll I'm just worried about where I'm at, and I'm gonna support yeah. other people,
0: so I love that, and kind of a thought while you were saying that that I had was even the idea of when when God's presence shows up it doesn't he doesn't always show up the same way for everybody, like he's he's such a personal God that he shows up to you in that moment to you the way that you need him to show up, yeah, whether that be for the first time in a salvation or a time where like you need a conviction of sin and you're mature, or maybe you just need a prompting to go and pray for that broken. But like that, that was kind of something that popped into my head of like, man, if if we're in a place where the presence of God is, he's almost going to take care of those details of like these people need to be empowered this week. They need to step it up. They're being bums. This person is seeking salvation. This is one of the sick people that I came for. They, need to be healed this person over there needs to be the one loving that person and it's like i I, kind of that was almost like a little epiphany that happened is like that's so cool that that place that's what church is supposed to be is the place where god's presence shows up and if everybody's worried about themselves and minding their own business and focusing on the presence of god he's going to speak and then it's just up to us to be obedient and do what he's telling us to do in all those different areas wherever we're at.
1: Could you imagine you, your word from from the Lord is like, hey, did the Lord speak to you today? Yeah, he, he told me NYOB. He told me to mind my own business, right? <laughs> like that's, that's what he told Peter. I'm sure he's still trying to tell us that. Yeah, just he,
0: he tells me that a lot. I think that's just a product of being in, in church for so long and in church leadership. Mm. You go to church services and you're like, I think about them sometimes and I experience them from a professional standpoint instead of like, trying to experience God's presence I'm like I'm thinking about the lights are the lyrics up on the screen mm-hmm. like I'm thinking about that and even this past weekend I was at a youth convention and during the first service I thought that during one whole verse of the song there were no lyrics and I was like what is that guy doing back then <laughs> I was like I don't know this song so that's why it affected me because I was like I don't know this song I was like and some loser's not doing his job so now I can't sing the song and then God's like did you just hear yourself? And I was like, oh, yeah. so I'm the a, problem. Is this a, is this a mind girl business <laughs>
1: conversation, or does this go back to earlier? Maybe God's calling you to go run lyrics. Hey, your passion is your purpose. That's I just true. walk into that yeah, sound just walk booth back and be some like, Excuse me. Could you, like, can you step aside so fun. I can run this? It's like,
0: I'll, yeah. I'll take care of this. And it's like, <laughs> I don't know the song, but I think I could still do better than that. <laughs> I, can, than I, than I can hear what they're saying and I can <laughs> type that fast. I don't know. But um, man, this has been such a good conversation about all those things that we're fighting for and the things that, that God wants to provide for us Mm. if we're willing to do our part. A lot of what we said today, I think, was taking ownership in our relationships, our budgeting, all of those things is really like, you know, kind of gear up take some ownership, mind your own business, that idea, but are there any other kind of closing thoughts when you think about that series about Fight Club? Of What was the heart behind that, the, the thought of all these things that God wants to provide for us to fight for?
1: I think it's almost all or nothing. If you look at the conversation that, again, we had, is that God blessed Adam with these five things that we've talked about, and that's, that's what made Eden paradise. And, uh, but when he lost one, he lost it all. When he, when Adam didn't fight like God said, God said, "Hey, I want you to tend and guard what I've given you. I want you to pay attention. I want it's yours. Guard it." And when he didn't, and the serpent came in, he didn't lose a little bit for a little while. He he lost his relation. He was separated from his creator. He was kicked out of his place, the garden. The ground, his provision was cursed. His people, his relationship. With Eve was never the same. Submission between husband and wife came in because of the fall. And so because Adam wasn't willing to fight, he lost everything. So man, if you're watching this, maybe one of these messages or topics has resonated with you. I just can't encourage you enough to really fight. Put in time, effort, and energy pursuing the five that God wants you to have because that's where paradise, that's where life is at. And if one of it is in Jeopardy. They're really all five in Jeopardy, because while I taught them in five, they're really all tied together. So fight the fight. Uh, pursue what God has for you. Put in the time, effort, and energy to keep the blessing in the life that God created you for. It's worth
0: it, but it's going to take some effort. Awesome. Thank you so much. It was awesome talking about this series, and yeah. I'm, uh, I'm excited for the next one. Thanks, Pastor good.
1: Austin. Hey, man, thanks for tuning in. Love you guys.